Welcome to Declarations of War, Evil Online's longest-running podcast for quite some time now. I am your host, Alexei Card, joined by my co-host, Artemis, uh, just kidding, Jintan. Oh, no, howdy, howdy. bastard. No! <laughs> and Artemis Elbosa. This is not cool, man. Sorry, man, this belated April Fool's intro. You got intro. my hopes up? Like, I was ready to go? He, da- he raised your hopes and dashed them quite expertly. Someday, Artemis. Someday, Yin will be sick or otherwise indisposed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, no special guest this week, but we have a lot to talk about. First off, some shout-outs. I want to give a shout-out to Max Wink, fellow EVE player uh, from the Twitch office, the head of Boonstorm's Logistics. I forget his character name, but he was really cool, too. Uh, my boss, Sonos, the entire team of Twitch's admins and mods who may be listening to this podcast at this point, uh, and everybody else at Twitch for being absolutely so amazing. I'll talk a little bit more about my first two weeks there a bit later in the show. Uh, and thank you for all the new Twitch follows, everybody. Yin? Oh, sorry, yeah. My shout-out is going to be to Raiden Harmon for setting up Twitch vs. Eve, which is something I'm going to talk about some more. Uh, it was super fucking fun. My shout-out is to the number one. No. Uh, my shout-out is to Noir. Just, you're awesome, guys. You already know that, but I figured I'd reinforce it. And speaking of how awesome they are, we have a poll, the official scientific poll results, MC Pravi Conflict, one of our most voted polls this year, MC One, 60%. There is no vote manipulation at all going on here. That did not happen. <laughs> well, you know what? The mo- the vote life. manipulation was even on both sides because Pravi could have come in and block voted too. I should have pinged this to my alliance. No. <laughs> and we did have a third option, uh, NC.1, because NC. helped NC out quite a bit in their final fight, which took him over the line. Uh, but only two votes there. So, you know, I feel like this is a scientifically proven way of saying that MC won regardless of whether NC dot interfered or not. Because even with those votes added to the Pravi one votes, MC still comes out on top with a dominant performance. Woo. Jen, do you have feelings? Not really. I'm over it now. <laughs> Can't confirm. Jen is a heartless bastard. Soulless automaton. Hey, look, I've already buried the corpses, and I'm going to bury the hatchet. We you can didn't all bury be friends on this podcast again. I still have a number of corpses in my hangar. Well, I'm going to need you to repatriate those. Well, you know what I can do with them? You know what I can do with them? I can stick them in this new thing that's coming out, maybe, possibly. <laughs> I forget what it's called, darn it. Organic mass something. Get all the lacrimix you can handle. And uh, sodium chloride as well. Don't forget about that. Yep, yep. We have a spot for advertisers on Declarations of War, so if you want to get the word out about your alliance, your podcast, your project, your real life business, possibly, um, advertise on Declarations of War. Uh, we're now no longer using the Plex model because they're about to be changed, but basically it's billion-esque for two episodes. Uh, you can do 500 per one if you want to, but I definitely recommend going with the two to maximize your exposure there. But hit me up, Alexa card in game, and uh, 
you know, come at me with um, a script if you've got one, or at least some, some like an outline of talking points. I can work with you on crafting that message, and we can get the word out about your uh, your event, your project, your corp, your alliance, whatever you want to advertise. You can advertise it here on Declarations of War. Now for our top story, and oh, this is the story of stories, the subject of much, much, much speculation, finally revealed to the world. We know what's going to happen with moon mining and citadels. Mm-hmm. They are called... Oh, go ahead, Yen. It's kind of what everyone predicted. It's fucking the moon mining, but with real mining lasers. Yay. Is it what everyone predicted? Because... Literally everyone was talking about it before it happened, like for at least three or four years. It's it's this is kind of the thing that everyone has expect the kind of way everyone's expected it to take. That's interesting because my understanding of how everyone was thinking about it was moons would essentially be scrapped and there would be like a new anomaly or something that you'd have to like discover and mine out with traditional mining lasers. But that is not in fact what's happening. They're still keeping moons. And now there's going to be a scheduled event where you can mine in it. I think that part is new. Yup, I think the way they've the way they've managed it is pretty good. Um, like in terms of the actual mechanic, in the way it works, in the way it just shits out ore, then you have to mine it on a schedule that you control. I think that's good. I think the problem it right now is that it's tied to um. Uh, tied to Citadel reinforcement mechanics, which are suboptimal for generating strategic content. I'm fairly yeah. pleased with it. I saw an interesting suggestion that I'm quite a fan of, which is you limit the um, you limit the ability of the people setting the timers. In other words, when the Vuln is and when the moon rock explodes into mineable asteroids. You limit that to you can only create the asteroid field within your vulnerable vulnerability period, such that people can't time zone tank it. But Fozzie was not supportive of the argument for various admirable reasons. Well, wouldn't it be you want to turn it into your your invulnerable timer, so you can't time zone tank it? Yeah. Well, the the argument is basically that way you can't set the time zone for the structure, for the refinery to be like AUTZ or something, when nobody would hit it, and then just explode your asteroid whenever you have people online. Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, one of the, I guess, the fundamental tactical questions is if the refinery is going to be able to use its guns and stuff to protect the miners, why would you ever wait to attack the miners instead of just attacking the structure directly. Any takers? I mean, it depends. Well, like, at the end of the day, you're still going to have the reinforcement mechanics that are already available on Citadels. Like, not everyone wants to sit there for 30 minutes and bash a Citadel. Some people just want to go in there, get some frags, and leave. Like, you see people all the time dropping ratters, and they could, theoretically, with those bombers in, say, Sovereignty Sov, drop an SBU and start a massive strategic fight, but they don't want to because there's no benefit for them for doing it, because they don't intend to take the system. Maybe you don't intend to take the moons, but you intend to just frag everyone working on those moons because they're fucking hilarious and fun. 
Mm, gotcha, gotcha. And you enjoy yeah. the taste of poor, small, poor people's tears, you know? I don't know. It is a, a very low commit option. That's a good point. I like the sound of it. Um, but there's been a lot of speculation about how this is going to affect moon mineral prices and stuff. I don't know, that's going to all come down to the numbers, but I th- would say, generally speaking, my sense is it's probably going to increase prices for moon-related commodities quite a bit. I mean, right now you've got the situation where people can, as long as you have the military power to protect it, you know, the actual maintenance in terms of going and grabbing the moon goo and bringing it to market is pretty low per tower. And you still have to fuel it, of course. But once you fuel it, you know, that's pretty much it. You get all the goo, it's in one spot, you go in, you pick it up, put it in your cargo hold, take it to the market, sell it. Or stockpile it, sell it later. Now they've got to have this huge op around collecting the same Moongu, which one person definitely cannot do, at least not to the scale that they were able to do it before. So... I think that's going to throw the dynamic of how moon ownership in EVE works pretty much on its head. And as a result, I think you're going to see the number of people and alliances that can actually successfully harvest the value from the moons shrink and harvest the value from all their moons shrink. Which means unless there's like some massive, like each one of the chunks of moon has like some massive increase in the amount of goo that it gives, I think you're probably going to see a pretty big price spike in things like Tech 2 ships and Tech 2 modules. Uh, this is actually something, this is actually, if you go and check the now revealed minutes, this is something that I brought up. I was very concerned with the impacts that this might have on T2 ship prices, very specifically. I think you're going to discover that the uh, PvP focused organizations will have a number more Care Bears than they think they may have. <laughs> So the impact will, uh, I would anticipate, be dampened by just the number of Care Bears who come out of the closet to mine up all this moon goo, because now they have a reason to exist. Yeah, one problem, however, I see is the impact this has on Losek. I like, literally, yep. like, a couple of hours ago, just came off of a fucking podcast where I was talking about <laughs> this exact topic. So I don't want to overdo it, and people who are listening should probably go take a listen to that one as well. Although I'm a little more fiery there. Um, basically, uh, it's going to take away one of the main remaining conflict drivers from Losec, uh, in term in terms of like EZ potential. It means that U.S. time zone alliances can't fight EU time zone alliances effectively over something that means anything, which I think is going to be a problem for them. Yeah, I mean, moons right now are one of the few things that time zone tanking doesn't really work for, at least on the conflict initiation side of thing. The other would be POCOs, but at least... I mean, low-sec POCOs are a little more relevant than null-sec, but yeah, you're running out of things to sort of force fights around unless you're able to engage in the enemy prime time. It'd be... Obviously, there are a lot of reasons why you want to have things come out in people's prime time, so they don't feel like they're being steamrolled while they're in their sleep. But on the other hand, there's some pretty big... <laughs> like advantage just being able to go okay 
you know, maybe this one thing or a few of these things don't happen in your strongest time zone. Like there's some variability there. There's some difference there. It's not a completely one-sided time zone tanking, time zone warfare kind of thing where nothing really happens because nothing can happen. Um, so I don't know how CCP wants to address this, but it feels like they've gone very strongly in the direction of, you know, things can only happen to the def in the defender's prime time when they're ready for it. And there's not a lot of spontaneity. There's not a lot of variability there. There's not an opportunity for an attacker to push a defender outside of their comfort zone. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe CCP decided to make the vulnerability windows on these things extremely wide as an answer to that problem, because we know they've wanted uh, citadels in particular to be very defendable and therefore have short vuln periods, ECs have a bit longer. I would be surprised if maybe to try and combat these concerns they didn't make the vulnerability periods on the refineries larger than perhaps expected. I think it just comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of how reinforcing works from CCP's side, because you absolute, you almost never will fight on the first reinforced timer of any structure. You wait for it to be reinforced, because you you know that when it gets reinforced, you'll have a time to prepare, and b you know the defender's advantage, as it were. You know that there's going to be people there. You know it's in your prime time. You, you are always going to be in the best possible position for that. There is no reason to try and rapid form for someone who's been able to prepare for an attack. Uh, unless you have a massive advantage as an organization and you can, like, uh, rage ping up twice as many people as theirs. They have, you know, there's no reason to fight then. You wait, you prepare, you go in for the next round and you win it. Um, but, you know, that's just my two cents, really. What's your sense, Ian, of, I mean, you work with Fozzie, presumably talk to him about this kind of thing. Is it something CCP sees as an issue in the larger sense, or is this the long-term design vision for not just this feature, but many features related to timers, that they're, they're pretty happy with how that's turning out in terms of the ecosystem and the dynamic of strategic fighting? Uh, I can't, Super high level. I can't obviously talk about how they would see about it going forwards, um, but I can say that they they don't seem to be taking it as seriously as the CSM does, and especially not as seriously as the general public does. I think Capri Suncraft Foods' kind of breakdown on time zone tanking as a mechanic at EVE Online was really good, um, but I think even the point of that has been missed by several people. Is it something the CSM plans to continue to address, or not a battle you think you guys are going to fight? I mean, you know, we're going to continue to talk about it, um, but we talk about a lot of things, <laughs> honestly. We talk about, you know, there are, there are things that most CSMs do talk about, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be one of the things that continues until it gets fixed, if it gets fixed. At the end awesome. of the day, we do not have real power. We have the ability to nag people, basically. That's our greatest power. It's kind of like a mon uh, monarch in, say, England. Uh, there's a there's a very uh, very famous quote uh, about the English monarchy in the current parliamentary system, which is that the uh, the monarch has three uh, three rights: the right to be informed, the right to um, uh, the right to dissuade, and the right to persuade. Basically, 
the right to uh, give advice, and that's all the CSM really does at the end of the day. Yeah, of course. No one's expecting miracles, but... Yes. And I I think from my point of view as like a, a commentator on, on EVE, and especially the PvP scene, I don't think they're that far off with the design goals, um, but it, it is concerning that everything is being shifted into this mode. I would like there to be some opportunities for asymmetric time zone warfare to provide some interesting dynamics where you know groups that are strong in one time zone can hit something, possibly force a timer that's maybe in neither side's strongest time zone. No one really knows what's going to happen. I think that would be the ideal situation. But you know, how many of those things, what those things are, I don't know. But right now, it's if this change goes through, it's going to be only Pocos. And Pocos are not super compelling, uh, maybe in low sec, definitely in high sec, not really at all in 0-0. Zero, zero. Um, so that's a bit of an issue. All right, so what else do these things do besides cracking rocks and sending them at a more or less predictable pace to some range away from the citadel or the refinery, which is outside of tether range, but within weapons range. They'll break apart. The rocks will sort of float about, and they will need to be mined like a traditional mining op, which is cool, except mining is super boring, and it would be really nice if they fixed that in the first place. Um... But, you know, we're moving in the right direction, generally. Uh, but that's not all they do. They will be refining, as the name sort of implies. Um, anybody that has an Astra House that got refitted up for refining is currently going to have that. Well, not just an Astra House, but any Citadel. They're going to have all those materials returned to them. So presumably everyone that's made a refinery now will get that stuff back and will probably put up a new refinery Um with the new citadels. Uh, I'm fine with that. I think there's, you can't really refund someone for the entire structure because there's no way of knowing if that was the, the primary purpose of the structure or not or what other value they're getting out of it. So I'm cool with that. I'm very interested to see what level of bonuses they get because the existing refineries were pretty good. So these will presumably be even better. How does one get even better than what we had? Unclear. Any insight on that, Yin? Uh, on reactions specifically, or on the refining levels? Oh, on the refining. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the way CCP's handling it is kind of nice in that they're not just randomly dicking every Astra House owner. Um, I, I don't really have a anything good or bad to say about it because I don't refine minerals. And I'm not really involved in that. Well, it does say on the blog that they're going to get bonuses to it. Presumably those bonuses will be more specialized than the Astra House. I imagine it would be much the same. You don't want to add uh, much more percentage, like much more percentage points uh, to refining than you already have on an Astra House. Uh, if you do, you run into the issue of uh, being able to refine like guns and scrap metal for huge amounts of money. Which isn't intended. Well, that's what I mean. Like, there's not much room, not much wiggle room there. So maybe 
Still goes slightly in that direction, but not really in that direction. Like a 1% or something like that. No, it's more likely, I think, that you'll just see the the existing bonuses on an Astra House fall off and have those be shifted over to a refinery. Oh, I see. Yeah. Like, so the Astra House will no longer be as good as it is for refining, because if you remember the Astra House Fortazar and Keepstar, their intent has never ever been to perform any sort of necessary function. They're there to be effectively the same as a staging pos was in the pos system. Right. A defensible place where you can go and sit your shit. And you touched on it, Ian, but reactions are going to be moved away from passes and into these new structures to the absolute joy of anyone who's ever run a reaction boss farm. Holy god. Uh, it, it, uh, I wouldn't say to the absolute utmost joy. It's actually a very, very interesting change um, in terms of what it does. Uh, because I don't know how how many pauses you've possibly run in your life, Alexia, but I used to run like upwards of 50 uh, reaction pauses in low sec. That was how I made the vast majority of my money for a long time. Far more than I. Go on. Yeah, uh, it was not as bad as you think once you got it all set up. Setting it up was fucking terrible and made me want to end myself, but that's beside the point. Um, the main thing that is that the barrier of entry to doing something like that is going to lower significantly. The fact that you can just dock up in a structure and react is something that, you know, hasn't been available before. And the fact that you now have player character limits, um, so, sorry, so you're going to have only a certain amount of reaction jobs you can do, whereas previously I could run all those 50 pauses on, you know, one character. I can now no longer do that level of reaction. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, because I don't do it anymore, and um, it probably wasn't the healthiest for the game for me to be making like 5-6% of the entire fucking game's supply of one area. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes, and you're going to see a lot of these reaction, uh, of these refineries. Like, you're going to see like one large refinery with like one dude with 40 characters in it just pumping out shitloads of reacted materials and i think that's going to contribute to actually driving down the cost of uh t2 reacted materials uh primarily because you, what you're looking at there is you're looking at one set of fuel cost for 50 reactions whereas previously you were looking at 50 you know well 50 rea- uh 50 fuel costs for 250 reactions or something like that yeah, and the fuel costs themselves will be going down tremendously from what I understand. I mean, there's no way that like 50 passes worth of fuel is going to be required for the for a single refinery. It's probably going to be much closer to what we see uh, the current upload structure is using, which is not too bad. Yeah, it is going to be very interesting to see how that goes. So um, that's just my predictions there. I I probably will set up another reaction farm because, hey, it's pretty much free money it's one of the easiest ways to make money in the game i've ever found so hey well it's going to be an interesting situation when you see the raw material prices jump up the accessibility and cost to make the or the accessibility go up and the like the cost of the actual refining process go down uh it's going to be a really weird market dynamic Still, interesting to see. Um, I'm not opposed to Tech 2 modules and 
and ships going up in price necessarily. My only concern is that so much of the balancing around Tequan and faction is sort of predicated on on a certain cost level of Tech 2s. And if Tech 2s spike in price by, say, 20%, you know, look at the Assault Frigate, for instance, it's already outmoded by the Tech 3 Destroyer. The Hack, already outmoded by the T3, and so on and so forth. Uh, You know, if those start costing even more than they do now, it's like, well, why would anyone ever (laughs) uh, pay that? Because they're not they're not really great compared to other options um, or maybe they do something specialized that's not super useful compared to other options. I think CCP is going to have to deal with those questions if the price spikes a lot. Turning this back a little bit more towards PVP, uh, I'm kind of disappointed at the consolidation to sort of one structure for all of this. Like I, I can get the reasons for it. I'm certain it's going to be healthy for the game, but like that's a whole load of targets that have just disappeared because there's no reason those pauses need to be up anymore. And certainly they're not as valuable as like moon mining pauses or super staging pauses or something like that, but they were certainly something that you could spawn fights over or at the very least that was a target out there that you could hit to uh, remove an income source for an organization at the onset of World War B, way back when MC deployed to hit CO2, we knew that they made a lot of money from their massive reaction farms. And so that was something on our strategic objective list is to poke at and take down those reaction farms. And that's something that's not going to be available or at least as accessible when everything swaps over to these structures. It'll still be there. It's just now it's going to be an all eggs in one basket type situation where they'll most likely consolidate that huge reaction farm into one or maybe a handful of refineries. And by hitting each of those refineries, you're able to take a bigger chunk out of their total hole. Now they could then take their reaction activity from the one and move it into another since there's no cap. There's really no reason to run more than one at any one time, actually, for reactions. But if you do hit them there, you're going to take it out in one fell swoop without having to grind through 50 past. Yeah. It's just uh, instead of hitting one little bit at a time, now you've got to hit everything, which requires a much larger consolidation of force. And of course, the basket's more of a armored truck or something. I don't know. <laughs> that you can only hit at certain times. It's, it's just going to be change, and I don't like change, Gar. I think that sums up quite a lot of things. You know, there are there are legitimate problems though. But in general, yeah, everyone's, sure. everyone's always like, change, it's terrifying, we don't know what's going to happen, so I'm going to assume the worst. Which I think is quite honestly a good reaction, because it helps you to identify a lot of the flaws. Um, but sometimes it just degenerates into what I can only call hysteria. Well, I think it just ties back into the time zone warfare thing. The idea that you could hit a bunch of different targets at different times and force fights at different times is kind of attractive. Consolidating that down means it's going to be a lot easier to defend, although it's a much bigger win if you do take it out. So, who knows? I think one issue is that it's so easily transferable. Like, if you have two refineries in the same system and you take out one of them, there's nothing stopping 
you know, all the assets being shipped over to the other one and the people that were reacting in there to just continue doing what they were doing without any issue. That's kind of annoying. It can either be done for cost using the asset safety mechanic or just completely uh, safely, but with a little bit of time, just utilizing Tether and a freighter. Assuming raw materials are involved and moved. Yeah. That's, that's, I guess, less than ideal, but trade-offs. All right, new patch stuff. This is not a new feature related, but more of a rebalance and quite a needed one. Rapid light missiles and regular heavy missiles. Finally getting some changes. Oh my god, was this needed. So they are going to increase the rapid reload time on both lights and heavies by five seconds which will keep the same burst but if you go into reload cycles it'll start to reduce your sustained dps by about four percent according to ccp fossey and the big change the change i think that's going to actually move the needle in terms of the meta the ship missile range bonuses will not apply to missiles that are undersized for that class so in other words caracal Cerberus, they're not going to get their range bonuses to light missiles. Whew. I am so... Uh, I'm happy about this, James. I like the rapid light concept. I think it's a cool idea. I think it's too oppressive to other options on the missile systems, especially for the fitting savings that you get for using them. Yep. Another big, pretty big change, which Yin and I disagree about its impact, but heavy missiles are getting a more than 5% buff to damage. I think it's fantastic, and I think the Drake is going to be coming back, baby. Hey, it's a fucking, it's a cool idea. I, I think it's needed, but it's still not going to do much. I don't it's know, man. 5%, that's... It's That's like, not nothing. It's like, it's like a, you're looking at a guy who's on fire and you handed him a glass of water, so he's going to get to put out one part of his body that's on fire, and maybe later he'll be able to put out the whole of his body. So it's a step in the right direction, but it's not quite I mean, there yet. If the guy's intelligent, he's just going to stop, drop, and roll, and then use a glass of water to finish whatever he doesn't catch, so... No. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think it's a I little glass of water, though. The main issue with the Drake prior was the damage reduction that missiles got heavy missiles got hit so hard by the nerfs and that the light missiles came into such a a prominence because of their effectiveness now the light missile ships are getting nerfed down the weapon system as a whole is getting nerfed down a little bit and the primary weapon system of the drake is now getting buffed i think the only thing holding it back would be the question of what is it really out there to counter and I think it could be a pretty decent counter to any kind of Tech 3 destroyer fleet or any Caracal type fleet that's out there. I think the Drake is a natural predator there. I, I don't see them being in any way in the meta, considering they have a pretty low range, mediocre damage, low application. The only thing they've got going for them is tank and the potential to have tank plus evil. I mean, if we're... they're also fucking slow. <laughs> 
Yeah, the speed is the is the key factor for me in Drake's not necessarily rocketing to popularity. Uh, the effect of this change on other ship types, for instance, in the micro and nano gang out in Nullsec, you see quite often heavy missile Tangus, which will do quite well and will do better after the change. There's also heavy missile launcher Serbs, which have been popular for a long time. They're just extremely utilitarian. They're very good at what they do. Uh, they're losing their ability to swap to rapid lights and be able to do a sort of hit-and-run type thing. But the extra damage may edge them out as better than something we're seeing crop up more and more nowadays, which is oversized prop mod healers. They fulfill sort of the same role. You kite at range, you do your damage from there. It'll be interesting. I think uh, the extra damage bonus may make the Cerberuses better at dealing with the healers, but the healers have their own special little niche that they fill. So the nerfed rapid lights may not make the Cerberuses remain on top. Well, the the heavy missile serve is still really good. I mean, it was never bad. So now it's just better than it was. It was one of the few ships that could still use the HML, and that was only because you could just have so many fucking serbs and fire from so far away that it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And now it's just going to be 5% better on the damage front. Yeah. Uh, overall, I think, it, you know, it is a good buff. We're just going to have to see how well it actually does in terms of doing what it wants to do, and I'm not entirely sure what it wants to do. It's just trying to make them a more viable weapon system and, and put it back in the mix. And I definitely think it's it's at least doing that. There's now an open question of whether or not you would want to go rapid light or heavy missile, depending on whether you want range or you want anti-close range, anti-small ship close range. Or if you just want to be like up in people's grills in mass, like sort of heavy missile brawling style against cruisers or lower viable anyway moving on I just want to touch on this briefly but there was an awesome EVE event that didn't get enough press at least I don't think it got enough press far enough in advance and kind of already happened but we'll talk about it anyway Twitch vs EVE all the Twitch streamers except for yours truly who was at work ironically at Twitch uh, <laughs> banded together to do a series of fleets that roamed around EVE, and it was them, their viewers, and they would go out and blow everybody up. And they were all, like, everybody that could stream it was streaming it. And it was capped off by a Titan giveaway, I'm heard, uh, I'm told. So, pretty awesome event. I love the concept. I love seeing all the EVE streamers sort of band together. We've got a really talented pool of guys um, broadcasting out on Twitch right now, all times a day. All different perspectives. You got your high sec guys, you got your low sec guys, you got your null guys, you got your wormholers. It's a really awesome community that's really blown up over the past year, I'd say. And to see them coming together and sort of putting their their mark on the wider game as well as streamers was really cool to see. Yeah, it was very fun to be part of. In fact, any, any highlights you want to share, Ian? Uh, yeah, getting to actually FC a fleet in it. How'd you guys do? Uh, we killed exactly one Pandemic Legion Proteus and uh, a couple of smaller things. It was pretty fun. Uh, we kind of got dunked on by PL, but yeah, hey, you know. Uh, people As seem- you do. Yeah, people seem to really enjoy my voice in that fleet. Because so, I went into proper full FC mode. 
I oh, don't nice. know if you guys know that, but I, I I sound a lot different when I FC. Because I'm I'm like trying to calm down all the nerds around me. <laughs> I would like to be in one of your fleets one of these days. Is well, there a VOD of this? There probably is, yeah. I don't she know whether. She gets somebody to make a big old uh, highlight reel of all the Twitch yeah. versus Eve stuff. That'd be interesting. I'd watch that. Twitch versus Eve highlight video. And if one does get made and we just haven't heard about it, guys, by all means, send it to us on Twitter. Definitely don't watch the VOD of my like for my my time in Beyond Fleet where I just cowered it out. Max cowered it out of the fleet. I'm sorry, Beyond. You actually did super well. He actually fought like PL Proteuses and did super duper well. Like fucking hats off to him. I hope they do another one sometime soon. I hope it's on a weekend <laughs> or a day that I could take off and participate. Yeah, I I look forward to maybe doing it again sometime. I've I'm you know I've offered to take a role in doing logistics for it if it happens again, and I would be happy to. Shout out Spe- to uh, that that was who my shout out was to but at the start by the way Alexia the guy who organized it all. Yeah, that guy was. Uh, Struggling. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would be happy to give him a hand as well. It's uh, it's one of those things. It's like a transcendent type concept, uh, or maybe I just feel that way because I'm a streamer myself, and I've been focusing more on streaming my gameplay in the past six months or so. That I'm just like more in that mode. But it was really cool to see everything come together the way it did. I wish I was able to watch and participate with more of it. It's just the worst possible timing for the event for me. Someday, though, someday. Anyway, speaking of fans sending us things, Cousin Pete, that is a member of the Capitalist Army, a.k.a. Bogdanovich, is uh, my cousin, IRL. He is a retained alpha player. He's been playing e- ever since we brought him up on the show a couple of months ago. Uh, he's loving it so far, but he writes in after a discussion we had in a previous episode, quote, Eve is absolutely pay to win, but it's as it should be. While there is a time and a place and fun things to do as an alpha, I think CCP handled it correctly, like, do as much cool shit as you can, and when you see all your friends doing a lot more and cooler shit, and or once you get a handle on game mechanics, you'll want to cough up a measly ten bucks a month. What are you gonna do? Go to the gym instead? I think not. Fuck you, pay me. I say that nicely, of course. They're playing just the tip, and I'm a horny slut. <laughs> well said, cousin Pete. And I, I that sort of confirms for me what an alpha player must be seeing. Like we talk about how Eve's not pay to win, it's not pay to win, but it has all the pay to winny con like concepts and elements to it. You literally have your gold ammo with Tech 2 ammo. It's, yeah, you're not paying a microtransaction for that in particular, but it's a pretty stark difference between non-subscribers and subscribers. Now, that said, non-subscribers can still do a lot of great stuff and have a big impact in fights and could definitely beat an older subscribed player. But that division is definitely there. I don't know. I, I just. I don't know if there's a downside to us not being honest about it, but. 
it's, it's like to the point where I'm like, yeah, you might be pay to win in the traditional sense, but it it's fine. I don't care. Yeah, it's, it's controversial to say, but well, I, I I wouldn't call it free to play. I'd just say that it's uh, sorry. I wouldn't. I've always said this the day it's not free to play. Eve. Playing Eve requires you to have a paid subscription so you can do everything you want in the game. Eve is free to experience. Because Eve is a universe, but, you know, getting to experience the universe is not the same as getting to, you know, be an active, you know, long, you know, huge member in it, if that makes any sense. Or maybe it's the reverse. <laughs> it's free to play, but pay to experience. Spooky. Mm -hmm. Trippy. Uh, real quick note, Amazing Sun. We're seeing pictures of these on Reddit with people, you know, making sultry poses with their ships and the backdrop of these brilliant new Coronas. Just a nice shout out to the art team. They really nailed it with these suns. They look absolutely outstanding. Not as blinding, much more detailed. I've never seen an actual sun, so I don't know how close they've came, but, you know, it's pretty good to me. And before Alec gets a bunch of hate mail for calling every single star a sun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. You're talking it, to the nerdiest of nerds here, bud. You should know better. They're just balls of nuclear fusion. So we don't all say, warp to sun, no matter what system we're in. Okay. Are we going to play that lie? I actually do say walk to the star. <laughs> That's because it's called a star in your overview. Oh, okay, nerds. I see. All right, all right. Maybe one of the sun just has the perfect ring to it. That's just that's it. It, it. does. And I've never heard anyone say "warp to the star." I, maybe it's because I've never been in one of your fleets, Ian. But never in all my years has anyone ever said that to me. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just a weird human being. But I must say that the blue sun looks fucking sound. I want. They just did it. No, the yeah shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm dead. I'm gonna kill myself. It's all vindication. Over. Also, I think we have the poll for today's that is, episode. That is the fucking. That is the fastest time from point made to point broken. <laughs> fucking. <laughs> oh lord. Uh, yeah, but we we will uh, definitely have to make that the poll for today. It's, the poll is warped to the sun and star. That's the options. You need to have a third option for thingy, because that's generally what it is in life leads. Done. Alrighty. <laughs> I feel like warped to the thingy I've used in other ways, though, so I don't know that that's fair to the other options. I have used warped to the thingy, though, much to my shame. Ah, Artemis, you have an update from Mercenary Coalition. Yeah, speaking of my fleets, uh, I've been doing a number of them, and I've been doing them not in Providence. And Mercenary Coalition has been deployed on a new contract. We've moved out west. We're currently fighting with Initiative and all of their pets and feeder groups and Goon Swarm when they can make their way up, and generally anybody who feels like making their way down to the area. There's a lot of stuff going around. Syndicate's pretty hot, as per usual. 
So there's lots of content there all of the time. There's been a bunch of fighting over the many, many money moons in Syndicate and the surrounding regions. And then we've also managed to get in on some fighting going on up in Cloud Ring when some pandemic horde hostility has come into the defense of, I think it's Sino, suddenly spaceships as of late. So tons of fun going on there. Mercenary Coalition has deployed over. We're enjoying their time. And uh, I'll share a little bit of a personal experience from that in my host highlight. I, I think it's pretty clear who I favor in that particular fight. <laughs> Let's go MC. I yeah. think in the end of the day, we're all going to win. Indeed. I mean, who doesn't love content in Syndicate? Like, Absolutely. One of my most favorite regions. Pravi and Syndicate have, have been my two zero zero regions where I'm like continually going back to them over the course of my entire career. There's just something about them. All right, host highlights. Uh, I've had my first weeks at Twitch, and it has been fantastic. Uh, I am now manager of the admin team, which are the guys that process all the moderation reports, and the head of the global mod team, which are the volunteers that sort of contribute to that effort as well. It's kind of a whirlwind. I've never had to sign up for so many things in my entire life. It's a Amazon company, so not that only is there all the Twitch stuff you have to sign up for in terms of like programs and registering for stuff and programs you have to get and download. Then there's like a whole other layer of Amazon stuff you have to register for and make sure all your paperwork is in for it. Um, but in in terms of like being inside it, man, it's I won't say well-oiled machine, but they really know their shit um, and they got it. They have all that shit together. It's in a backpack in a pit museum. It's together. It's uh, it's a fantastic place to work. Been having a great time. Everybody that I've met so far is extremely brilliant in their particular fields and very friendly and welcoming. Um, so yeah, <laughs> if you're not streaming on Twitch already, get yourself over there. At least tune in. They're doing some amazing stuff. I just happened to join while they were doing the Power Rangers Marathon. So that was like the backdrop for my entire experience. Oh boy, was that fun. Um, the Twitch chat was brilliant. I've never watched Power Rangers the same way again. Wait, they were literally just watching Power Rangers like the TV show? Yeah, uh, Twitch, I guess, had bought or was leased or something, the rights for the Power Rangers every season, every episode, every movie, and marathoned it end-to-end for two and a half weeks, three weeks, something like that. I just say that the dinosaur one was the best. Dino Force, I think it was? Something like that. I watched that when I was a kid. Fucking loved it. I mean, the original is where it's really at. We all know that. I've never no, actually episode, seen episode, Power Rangers. What? Episode 500, Alexia. That was like probably one of my favorite ones. This, uh, which one was that? Were they all... Um, it's where they There's a couple of reunion episodes that were pretty awesome. The Red Ranger reunion and the overall reunion where they all come help out and fight like these alien invaders and you have... Not really all the rangers, but it's all the rangers in costume, and then whichever ranger actors that could get their hands on to take their helmets off. 
It's uh, a pretty epic moment. Yeah, five five hundred is like a a basically an in an in character history of all of the fucking Power Rangers. It's so good. Ooh, I gotta go and check that like, out. And it's got the original Black Ranger in it, and he's like a big part of the team of Dino Force. It's so good. I, Anytime Tommy would come on, it was just like oh. chat would go freak out, you know. Oh lord. Now we're just sitting. Aren't we going to reminisce about shit? We the shit that only children should pay attention to later. I and guess so. I actually do appreciate wrestling. Not gonna lie. But anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> totally worth it. Um, and could not be better timed with the movie coming out. I'm sure that had a, a large thing to do with it in terms of the timing. But oh my god, <laughs> it was uh, it was magical. And uh, I. It's not a great show. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that it's a great show, but it definitely has its high points. And like I said, watching it with the Twitch community, going on the side with all the memes that they were making out of it was like just phantom, phenomenal. So it's a pretty fun-loving company uh, that you know, really embraced all the kind of goofiness that goes along with the Power Rangers without even a second thought, which is kind of interesting to see. Because they are like an actual company, company. But like, meanwhile, we're all watching Power Rangers on our second screens. Oh god. Anyway, so loving it. Uh, also, apparently, I need disclaimers on the show now so that nothing I say can be taken as Twitch's official position on anything. So nothing I say in the show should be taken as Twitch's official position on anything, or should be taken as such. Um, really glad I got to shit talk. Kotaku on the last episode before I got hired, so now it's all out of my system. <laughs> Don't have to worry about it. <laughs> if you want to hear my thoughts on Kotaku, you can go listen to the previous app. <laughs> Artis? Well, I don't know how I can follow up uh, Power Rangers, but I had some fun. Uh... R64 got reinforced by some wonderful AUTZ gentlemen in Mercenary Coalition, and it was supposed to be hit, but everybody decided to go shoot each other on top of uh, suddenly spaceships Fortazar at the time, and so it didn't get killed. It was just sort of sitting there out in space with like 28% shield slowly regening. So I was going to go kill it. I was going to wait until some USTZ guys got home from work to do so. But Initiative jumped the gun, they decided we're not going to just let them have this free kill. And so they bridged in roughly 10 Slipnirs and then a crapload of Lodgy. And I was coordinating with Northern Coalition there in the area as well, and I was saying, hey, you want to go, like, this is an R64, we can kill that, and we can kill a bunch of in it, you want to do this? And they said, yeah, can you delay them? And, of course, at this point I had pings. Mercenary Coalition, we were flash-forming for T3s, but unfortunately we had no way to even scratch the paint on these ships with the number of Lodgy that Initiative had on field. And so I had a Dread sitting in my hangar that happened to be Hoffit on an alt, and its insurance was running out in three days, and so I just jumped it in. I said, you know what, why not? It's an R64, it's worth the loss of a single dread if we can manage to get it, and all those fails, I got some nice footage from my solo PvP mixtape. So I jumped it in there, and started shooting at things. Unfortunately, they tackled me up at my ping, so I didn't actually get to warp down to the tower and do as much damage as I could have, 
but I was able to force most of the tackle off. Eventually, the initiative fleet in its entirety had to warp up just to hold me down. They realized that their 10 or so Slipnirs could not break the tank of a Siege Dread, and so they had to send half of their fleet home to reship into Helis to come and kill me. Unfortunately, uh, we were just a little bit too slow on forming up with MC and NC coordinating together, and despite my, uh, despite my wishes and my pushing and nagging, the fleets bridged in just moments after my Dread blew up. I honestly think they did it on purpose, but uh, the Dread died, the R64 was wrapped up to full, and, and it didn't lose anything. So they got a kill, I had some fun, some people got salty that I jumped a Hodred in and yellowed it, but I don't care. You know, you gotta have fun sometimes. Did you scream constantly as you were doing it? Surprisingly not. Oh, you bit, like, come on, you gotta at least just scream Allah at the top of your lungs when you're doing something dumb like that. Nah, only if you're in a rapier, dude. Only if you're in a rapier. No, only if oh, you're, no, only if you're shooting rapier. a rapier. They didn't have any rapiers, <laughs> dude. It was all Hugans. It was Hugans oh, and Storks and freaking Basilisks. You see, it's that disappointing. Explains it. That explains it. If they had a rapier, then it could have happened, but unfortunately not. Did you shoot a rapier, Jim? I did not, but I did run, like I said, a fleet of Twitch versus Eve. I uh, ran a fleet of rapid light missile caracals uh, to their inevitable demise against the many forces of the universe. But I had a fucking great time doing it. Um, taught a bunch of people how to anchor up and how to look at your broadcast windows and things like that. So that was absolutely great. And I got to fly with some like super elite logi for like no reason. Like it seemed that just a bunch of people decided they wanted to fly in blingy ass scimitars with like self reps and they did super well so props to the dude who did that I think some good dude called Finn was my Logi FC and he was probably a better FC than I was <laughs> god bless him shoutouts to Finn shoutouts to Finn alright guys uh, we were going to do a theorycrafting corner on nightmares today but we're running a bit out of time uh, so we're going to do it on the next show, which is going to be recorded the 16th, hopefully released 16th, 17th. And we're going to skip right to region descriptions, but definitely get psyched about the Nightmare Theory Crafting Corner. I know Yin has so much experience with that. I've got a lot of ideas about how to counter them, and I think it's going to be a really great discussion. I would have loved to have heard some of those ideas when we were trying to kill them, but you know. Well, if I was around... Maybe I would be doing that. But no. You guys went and invaded Providence without me. Sounds like a personal problem. Mm, okay, yep. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Scalding Past, Jim. I will read out its wonderful description here. Scalding Past is a vast stellar nursery. The birthplace of stars. A harsh and unforgiving region, home to violent ion storms and rocked by intense solar winds, the pass is littered with the wrecks of ships that were blindsided by the unpredictable dangers of this region. However, there are some who manage to find solace and safety in such a tumultuous place. The cartel is rumoured to have many outlying bases in the region, masked by stellar phenomena, and in recent times, many captured Lear groups have braved its burning embrace in pursuit of their dark dreams of power. Awesome. 
And now, Sink Laysan, done in the style of every war correspondent on the news you've ever heard. Sink Laysan suffered terribly during the war with the Keldari. On the front lines for much of the conflict, many small settlements were ruthlessly destroyed by small Keldari raiding parties operating a scorched earth policy to deny any industrial use of the region. It is testament to the hardiness of the human spirit. That, is, that now it is economically one of the strongest regions of the Federation, ironically owing much of its rebuilding to the vast quantities of Kaldari goods that are imported and traded at the many outposts and stations in the border region. Interesting. On to Solitude. Despite its name, Solitude is hardly peaceful and quiet. Physically separated from the rest of the Federation, it lies wedged between Syndicate and the Amar Empire. But for such a small, segregated sector of space, Solitude commands a great deal of influence in the Federation. Not only for its strategic location, but also for the fact that many of the Federation's most influential and charismatic politicians come from Solitude. Over 15% of the current Senate, such as former presidential candidate Senator Black, either represent Solitude or were born in the region and later migrated to others. This, some speculate, is what has led to the somewhat more warlike and isolationist tendencies within some quarters of Federation politics. Both warlike and isolationist. Well, yeah, you gotta kill everybody around you so you can be alone. That's how it works. True, true. That is the, the one true proven way to get some peace and quiet. <laughs> Alright, and this is WrestleMania Day. The first time Declarations of War is being recorded on WrestleMania. So, I thought it'd be fun if we could go down and just give our predictions. Uh, not going to take a lot of time with this, just simple. You got to pick a winner and you know maybe throw in one line of, of why or how you think it's going to go down. Bray Wyatt versus Randy. Oh, let's, let's start from the bottom. Let's start from the bottom. Um, the tag team triple threat ladder match between Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, a.k.a. The Club. Enzo Amore and Big Cass, and Cesaro and Sheamus. Artemis. I, th those were words. They, they were words. Them... Where are these? These aren't on the sheet. That's not the bottom. They are on the sheet. <laughs> That's at the bottom. The bottom for me is Neville versus Austin Aries. Oh, you just deleted it! What are you doing? You're a bad bot. Those, those matches already happened. You guys could Google it. I don't want you to cheat. Okay. I'm going to go for uh, Cesaro and Sheamus, because I know Sheamus is that, like, fucking dumb, dumb Irish one. He is dumb and Irish, yes. I'm still... I'm still completely lost. Just pick one, you fuck. I'm going to go with the one that Jin didn't pick. There were two. Then the, the second one. You're, you're mad at this. You'll go Enzo Amore and Big Cass. Absolutely, um, big cast for the win. That guy, he has got the stuff it takes to do the thing. He does have those things. I would like Enzo and Big Cast to win. However, I think Gallows and Anderson will retain because they have only recently become champions after being buried for a super long time. So I think they will keep their titles a bit longer. 
SmackDown Women's Championship match. This will be hilarious for you guys to predict because you have no idea who any of these girls are. But Alexa Bliss will defend against all female SmackDown superstars who are available to compete. I don't know about you, Jim, but I'm thinking all of the other people will be able to beat the one. I'm gonna go for the for the like riding a mount like riding atop a mountain of corpses of other female wrestlers for Alexa Bliss. I think that just sounds cool. Uh, there'll probably like be some sort of thing where like she's nearly beaten, but like two wrestler, two other female wrestlers want to win, so they start fighting each other, and then Alexa just just beats the shit out of the rest of them. So that's what I'm gonna predict. I love that prediction. In fact, you've sold me on it. However, I will I'll put a rider on my on my answer because of the format of the match. If a formerly not on the roster but just got signed just prior to the show or something funny like that, or maybe has been injured and wasn't available to wrestle for a long enough amount of time that we may have all forgotten about them, and this is like their big return debut. If that happens, I think she'll lose. However, if there are no surprise entrants, I'm going with Yin's prediction of Alexa Bliss atop a mountain of corpses. International championship, Intercontinental Championship match. Dean Ambrose, champion defending against Baron Corbin. Yin, your thoughts? Isn't Dean Ambrose that, like, lunatic fringe guy? He is the lunatic fringe. Dean Ambrose. Come on. He's, he's too baller. Even I know you never want to fight somebody named Ambrose. I, I'm actually going Baron Corbin here. I think it's his time, and I think uh, Ambrose could actually move himself up to maybe a world title match type contention. Or or possibly uh, in a tag team or something. But uh, I think it's Corbin's moment. I like Ambrose, though. He's good. Oh, the heartbreaking match. The United States Championship. Chris Jericho defends against his former best friend, Kevin Owens. I was devastated at how, the Festival of friendship. friendship. end? How did this friendship end? Who betrayed who? Uh, Kevin it... Owens betrayed Chris Jericho after Chris gave him uh, a custom statue of, of a postmodern art, a beautiful painting of the two of them like the Awakening of David. Uh, I think that's what it's called, where God points out the finger and there's the little lightning bolt in between them. Who is them. God? Uh, God was Kevin... And Chris was David. Oh, how can you end that? He promoted you to God. Or at, was it David or Adam? What a, correct, somebody who knows art things. Somebody who knows art things, TM. Uh, I think I'm going to go for Chris Jericho. Obviously, he's now put Kevin Owens on the list. Absolutely. I know like way this too guy much thinks... about wrestling. I've never watched wrestling in my life. How do I know these fucking memes? There's no way, there's no way Chris doesn't like fight dirty here. He's got... He's got a hatchet to bury in the back of this guy's skull. <laughs> the creation of Adam is the painting that I am referencing. We did it. Uh, I, I, Chris Jericho needs to be vindicated. There's no way that Kevin Owen, who has just betrayed Chris, there's no way that such villainy can't go unpunished. I've got to believe that the fates will smile on Chris Jericho today. And it's just such a, a brutal betrayal at, at such a, a heartwarming festival of friendship. But uh, yeah, there's no coming back from that. Four-way match. 
elimination match. That's an interesting stipulation. So every person must be pinned until there is only one winner. Bailey, champion, defending against Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks, and Nia Jax. I'm going to go for Charlotte Flair because she's Ric Flair's girl. But uh, if I had to guess, guess another one, I'd go for Sasha Banks because I actually know who the fuck she is. Bailey, because apparently she won previously. I'm also going Bailey because Bailey has lost to all three of these girls in the preceding month or two before WrestleMania, and it has kind of cast a shadow on her championship reign. So I think her WrestleMania moment will be. I actually think she may even get the pin if WWE was smart. She would get the pinfall on each one of them in some way. And her vindication of being able to defeat all of the challengers that had bested her prior and to finally be the undisputed women's champion. I think that would be the that's the thing that I want to see. Alright. Not a wrestler, Shane McMahon, versus the phenomenal AJ Styles. If I know anything about the McMahon family, it's gonna be Shane. Is he Irish, perchance? No, it's because McMahon is the Vince is the guy who runs the company of WWE. And I don't know if the McMahons are Irish. They're kind of waspy, so it's unclear. They're generically white. Yes, they are very generically white. And rich. If they're not Irish, then I can't vote for them, so it's definitely going to be AJ Styles. Yeah. I would say that AJ Styles should win, because, like, his actual wrestling style, from what I hear, is pretty good. People, well, of people course, say it's that, in his name. He definitely should win. However, this is another, and i got to put another caveat. If it's just on paper, Shane versus AJ, AJ will win. However, if the match involves the surprise return of, say, a Kurt Angle, who it's been very rumored may return at some point, uh, then if he comes in and interferes on Shane's behalf and kicks off a rivalry with AJ Styles going forward, I could see do, that do, being do. a... What, what if? What if? Shane, like, Shane's music plays, but like Kurt Angle walks out, and Shane just like comes on with like a backstage segment. He's like, "I never said that you were going to be fighting me, AJ Styles." Like, just full dick modes him with Kurt Angle. That would be fucking rad. That'd be brilliant. That'd be <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> Speaking of amazing, Seth Rollins versus Triple H. Another betrayal match. Triple H uh, setting Seth Rollins up for his entire career. Seth getting hurt, and then uh, Triple H kind of leaving him high and dry when he came back from injury. Ironically favoring Kevin Owens, who just betrayed Chris Jericho. There's a lot of betrayal happening, man. I gotta go uh, Seth on this one. I don't know, man. Yeah, it sounds like it's just smart business decisions on Triple H's part. Can't fault him for that. And I got a couple of regular JBLs up in here. <laughs> <laughs> Artemis and Jen are my color guys. <laughs> uh, the power couple match, John Cena and Nikki Bella versus Miz and Maurice. Not only do you have to pick the winner, but you have to pick whether or not John Cena will ask Nikki Bella to marry him live on the show. That's an open question. Do, will there do, be a proposal? Do. Cena will propose over over Miz's uh, pinfold body. I can see it. Artemis? 
I actually know who Potato Salad is, so I think I have to vote for the guy, but I think he's too boring to, to propose on show. I think he's just goofy enough to do it, so I'm going with not only will Cena win, but he will he will propose to Nikki Bella. I think that's the only reason why they're in this match instead of John Cena wrestling either The Undertaker or AJ Styles again. Probably I would have said The Undertaker of those two potential matches. Um, the reason why that's not happening, I think, is because the proposal is going to happen. Okay. So Phenomenal AJ Styles, or excuse me, The Undertaker of the Phenom versus Roman Reigns. Uh, I'm going to go for The Undertaker here. From what I hear, Undertaker's getting pretty fucking old. I think he's going to retire as champion after this match. He's going to like. It is not for a title. Really? Yes. There is uh, no title on the line. This is a simple grudge match. In that case, I'm pretty sure uh, Roman Reigns will win then. That's pretty sad. I, I, I would like, like, his, like Undertaker's final match, because I remember watching him as a kid. I'd like his final match to be. He's in like he he's defending a title. He wins. Then the lights go out, and just you know, the end is just him, his like, uh, fucking hat in the ring. That the hat with the title, like yeah. vacant, propped up against it. That would be beautiful. That would, you see that that is that is classy. I would like to see that so much that in my heart I want to believe that Taker will beat Reigns and will do that exact thing next year. However, I'm I'm saying that I think Roman Reigns will win, and that thing will happen next year. Oh, you think Reigns will, will win anyway, but Baker will come back for one more go? Yeah. Hmm. That's an open question. I I, I feel like Re- they'll have Reigns beat The Undertaker for God knows why, but I have a feeling this will be his last match, even though it doesn't really make any sense for this to be his last match. So I don't know. If this is his last match, I think Reigns will definitely beat him. Unfortunately, I mean, if this really isn't his last match, I think it's less of a, of a thing. It sounds to me like The Undertaker has a wealth of experience, which Reigns is lacking. And so I'm going to take the grumpy old man versus the dog. Now we're getting into the big title matches. The Universal Championship, which despite the name is not actually as good as the WWE Championship. Goldberg... The cha- undefeated champion is lost uh, once, I think. And then how is he undefeated ever? At versus Brock Lesnar. I'm going for Brock here. I've got to agree with you. Nobody who's lost a match can call himself undefeated. <laughs> let me I mean, let me like, confirm if he's ever actually lost something. I mean, Brock uh, Brock broke the streak, so he's got a win, right? So he, he, he has lost matches, however, his total win-loss percentage is 84% win. I'm banking on the 16 and I'm going for Brock Lesnar. I too am going for Brock Lesnar because they've set it up so clearly for him to win. I, his previous two losses have been in less than three minutes total combined ring action. So, yeah, I think Brock will win, and he'll either also beat uh, Goldberg in a less-than-five-minute match, or they will finally have a proper 
actual long wrestling match that's like more than 10, 15 minutes. I don't know that that will happen. Hopefully it does. It's a little weird that we even have to consider it, but whatever. Okay, and finally, Bray Wyatt defending his WWE Championship against Randy Orton in the match almost a year in the making. I think I think there's a yes chance of coming out, boys. Or is that a different person? That is a very different This is the RKO out of nowhere, the Viper Randy oh, Orton the versus the, yeah, the quote, meme. new face of fear, Bray Wyatt. Meme wins. RKO out of nowhere, meme wins. He's going memes. Artemis? I'm going to go with Wyatt, because why not? I'm actually also going with Wyatt. Uh, Randy Orton is hot. The RKO is awesome. But he's had so many title reigns, and this is Bray Wyatt's first title reign. He's been portrayed as very strong. His finisher has not been kicked out of since the start of the year, I believe. And I think uh, I think Bray is going to win. He's going to get his championship moment, and he's going to rule over WrestleMania and be the new big bad of the WWE for someone to knock down potentially at SummerSlam, maybe next year's WrestleMania. We'll see. I don't know. Title reigns usually don't go that long in the WWE, but I think he's going to be an obstacle for a big face, like a Sami Zayn-ish type character. So those are our uh, our WrestleMania predictions. You can double-check us and see how we did. That's it, guys. Go to declarationsofwar.com to participate in the show poll and leave a comment. Reminder that the Capitalist Army is recruiting. We're looking for good PVPers, good market traders, good manufacturers. Come join one of the hottest low-sec communities right now. That's a total lie, but <laughs> I'd like to believe that it is. Uh, actually, all, all kidding aside, we're having a great time together. It's it's a really awesome bunch of dudes doing some really interesting stuff in low sec. So, you know, if you're at all interested in PvP, if you're at all interested in low sec lifestyle, if you're at all interested in trading, manufacturing, streaming as a thing, um, or just want to hang out with other Declarations of War fans and, you know, come PvP with me, join Capitalist Army. Join our chat channel, send an application, all that good stuff. And with that, Good hunting busters. Well, I can see the food situation. Well, I'm just here to check the deco decoration. Well, I'm here to supervise the preparations for the summer, summer, sun, celeb, sun, celebrations. Sorry, we have an awful lot to do. This prophecy must not come true. Oh, get busy, get busy, get ready for the summer, summer, sun, so, sun, so. Find me the copy of Predictions and the Process. Time to learn more about the elements of Harmony. Spike? Take a note, please. Quick, send it. Now, of course. He's so sweepy, he can't even keep his balance. Keep his widow balance. Balance. We can't just waste an opportunity to find out her talents. Find out her, find out her, find out her. He's so sweepy, he can't even keep his balance. Keep his widow balance. Thank you.